All right, I have tonight some of these papers. You want to hand these out, Val, if you can find somebody, anybody needs them. Um, this is the really the beginning of section three out of four. So we are at the halfway point. We have already studied growing a child in stature. We have done growing a child in wisdom. I think we did wisdom first. Wisdom, stature. Now we are in the category of growing a child in favor with God. And remember, we are taking these four categories directly from the scriptures. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and with men. And so we have looked at uh, mental development. We've looked at physical development. We're now looking at spiritual development. And then we're going to be looking at social development but we realize that these are all interconnected, that you can't just segment them like that. And so certainly in our mental development, uh, what was the beginning of wisdom? Was the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? To hate evil. And so we recognize immediately that wisdom is connected to our spiritual growth. And so we've already handled some of that when we handled uh, to grow in wisdom. You cannot really do wisdom without some understanding of that, And that's a premise for where we're taking this part of it, and we're not really driving salvation, because we did that in wisdom, that we wanted to instruct our children the fear of the Lord, and that is that they would hate evil. And we recognized the necessity of that, and we talked extensively about how to do that in our disciplinary models, in our instruction, our example, um, in our provision, all those things that form our diaper. And so you can see that that's our acrostic discipline, instruction, authority, provision, example, and rebellion, recognizing rebellion. So we're into our third category. Um, and they're going to be relying, I'm going to keep going back to those first two categories on occasions, because growing in favor with God is not disassociated from our body, um, from, our, from our physical activity nor is it dissociated from our mental activity. They are intertwined. So we can't just start fresh and, and ignore all the rest that we've already studied, nor can we disassociate this from what we've already studied or what we need to study still to come. Last week was a very, very important week. If you missed it, please listen to the podcast. It is on up now, right? It has been put on this afternoon from last week. And if you do not know what's on there because you weren't here, you're going to be a little frustrated tonight because I tackled what we mean by favor with God, which will also be applied to being at favor with men. What that means biblically is not necessarily what we think of. That favor is something that is deserved. It is something earned. It is not grace. It is not undeserved favor. But favor by itself is earned and deserved. So we're going to be talking not so much about getting saved as much as teaching the disciplines and the, and the aspects of Christian living that, <coughs> excuse me, that please God, that bring God's favor. And remember that we are distinguishing, we talked about blessing and uh, versus salvation, not that salvation isn't a blessing, it certainly is, but there is an expectation that God blesses certain aspects of life, that if you choose to live not just uh, activities, but um, speech, thoughts, um, attitudes, that he will bless those. And so we want to recognize that there is a physicality to living and to growing in favor with God. There is a mentality involved in growing in favor with God. Uh, and there's a spirituality, and there's also a social element of growing in favor with God. Again, these are all intertwined. Um, but we have to have a structure for our study, and this was our structure. So, um, we talked, we went through a lot of scripture last week to talk about and demonstrate very strongly that favor of God is earned, it is deserved, it is something that we strive to obtain, which is very different than salvation. Salvation is something we accept, 
and we recognize I can't earn it. I just have to repent, receive it, and uh, trust in Christ and, and, and then follow after him, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is, uh, we're not saying that's not important. It is important. We've already covered that under wisdom. Uh, I'll keep referencing it throughout the spiritual growth of your children because uh, we're walking a very thin line tonight, okay, in, in our parenting. The thin line is between making sure your children know that they are still sinners, even while we are teaching them behaviors that please God. And that is a difficult balance for a lot of parents to achieve. Uh, and so we struggle with that because the tendency is if we overemphasize a life that lived to God's pleasure, it is very easy for a child to think this is how I have a relationship with God is by going to church. And we sing songs, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Um, what we don't sing first is, you know, repent of your sins, trust in Jesus, and you'll be alive, alive, alive. You know, because you have to be alive before you can grow. And so the song is really written for Christians, not for the lost. Um, it is easy for, and when we sing it with the children, and sometimes they get confused, well, to be in a right relationship with God, I need to read my Bible, pray every day. Um, well, no, that's not how you're going to get into a relationship with God. That's how you're going to grow after you have a relationship with God. And so you're walking this line of making sure that you're not presenting a pharisaical view of, you know, you can live a life good enough to please God to get into heaven. Because we're not talking about that. And so while we're presenting this, we also want to uh, rec have our children recognize that they're dirty, rotten sinners, and they're deserving of hell if they don't trust in Jesus Christ. They have to repent of their sin. They have to hate evil. They have to trust in Jesus Christ. They have to have the fear of the Lord in them, um, and they need to receive him as Savior and Lord. And uh, we're doing these simultaneously, and, and that's difficult sometimes, and, and your children aren't going to immediately grasp that and it's not something we're pressing especially at the very young end at the very young end we are really emphasizing what god desires his his expectations um, because we're not really pushing uh, we're, we're pushing the the idea of what sin is and defining it and so they know that they are sinners and then we see them get up to that six, seven, eight, nine-year-old age where they begin to underst can understand what mediation and what sacrifice and someone paying for your sin is involved, what's involved in that, and they can accept that as their own. And so um, that's the tension that we want going on in your home, uh, and you need to be attentive to both of those, to both their, the desire for their salvation um, and, and I don't push it with, with young children. Uh, I really don't. I didn't do it with my children. I didn't ask them weekly, do you want to get saved this week? Um, I, I don't do that. Um, because, uh, but I do want to teach them what does God require. And we want to teach them, as we said in our wisdom, to fear God, to hate evil, to have that wisdom, the fear of the Lord. But then we want to uh, proceed from that to... Um, what pleases God, but often we start with what pleases God. What does God want you to do? And so we're going to talk about tonight the disciplines of life. Uh, and remember, discipline has two facets. It's not only correction, it's also structure. So correction is when you do wrong, you're going to get punished, and you're going to get disciplined, and there's a consequence for this behavior, and you're going to have to just pay for that consequence. And as they get older, those consequences become more substantial. Because frankly, a swat on the rear doesn't last very long. Okay? And so we can talk about that kind of discipline, physical discipline, but as you get older, your kids are just going to laugh at you because, well, that, uh, yeah, I'll take the swat. Um, kind of like when God comes to David and says, I'll give you three choices, and we always chose, the, what did David choose? I'll take the one that's the quickest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not, not 
three, I don't want to lose to my enemies. I, you know, he has other reasons for that. He says, I'll take this one, it'll last the shortest amount of time, and even then God shortened that. Um, and so physical discipline is, has short-term consequences, uh, and as they grow older, they need more substantial consequences because those are just not substantial enough for them. Not just grounding, but even loss of, of privileges on many levels. So we're going to talk about that in the spiritual realm as well. Uh, what kind of spiritual privileges do you lose if you are not pleasing God? Ah, this is very important. Pray as much as you want. God doesn't hear. God does not hear the prayers of those who do not please him. And that's why James says if you want to get healthy, you better go get the prayers of righteous men because they're worthwhile. They avail much. Um, now, when I make that blanket statement, hopefully you understand that we're, the prayer of repentance is the exception to the rule. And so obviously a prayer of repentance does please God. God does respond to that. And now we can uh, get back into that right relationship. So that's one spiritual consequence of, of not pleasing God in your life. And your children need to know that. Is that there are consequences to not pleasing God just as much as there are blessings of seeking his favor. So let's look a little bit at this word, uh, a couple places, then we're going to get into some of the disciplines of the Christian life uh, or of the spiritual maturation of your child. And we're going to be a little bit older this time rather than with the, some of them we've dealt with a lot, very young things, I mean down to infants and with the stature and some of the important things that happen in the first five years and in wisdom, but we're going to go with a, a little bit of an older group, not that we're not doing anything with the youngest ones, but uh, they are uh, easy to get into the habits of the Christian life without even recognizing the spiritual necessities of it and benefits. Let's turn your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Timothy very quickly. And uh, since we mentioned a consequence, a spiritual consequence of not pleasing God is God doesn't listen to your prayers. Let's start with that one. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 1. If you've got it there, therefore I exhort. That word exhort um, is a strong word. It's uh, it's Strong encouragement. Exhortation is a preaching term that we use frequently to exhort. Uh, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we have here an uh, exhortation by Paul to young Timothy, and let's just make Timothy our child. All right, let's put ourselves in the parenting role, and Timothy is our child. And so Paul here has some sage uh, words for him, uh, and among them he says, listen, uh, your prayer life needs to be active, it needs to be filled with thanksgiving, it needs to be focused on those in authority in your life. You should be praying for those in authority in your life. So we have immediately confronted one of the primary disciplines of the Christian life, and that is prayer. And so one of the things that we should be encouraging and teaching our children is how to pray. And that is, should be a discipline that they uh, grow into. Here, Paul's saying, uh, you need to have supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, be made for all men, particularly those in authority, with this goal that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. This is good and acceptable. So God looks upon a prayerful life that is full of thanksgiving, that is thankful and praying for those in authority over them. Now, we're going to come back to this when we get to the A in our diaper, um, probably in two weeks, uh, uh, yeah, somewhere in there, uh, maybe next week. And so we have a 
prayer life. Now, if you're going to uh, have your child grow in this spiritual discipline, how do you do that? How's your child going to grow in this spiritual discipline of praying, particularly for authorities? All right, you're going to lead by example. That's on our diaper. You're going you're to have to pray for authorities over you. You should be praying in front of your children for your boss, for um, your husband, their father, um, if you're the mom. Um, you should be praying for uh, authorities in your life. Um, you should be praying for your pastor in front of them, for their Sunday school teacher and yours, for others in authority, for our president and for um, uh, the mayor. Now, are those, all those people going to be godly people? No, but they are part of God's provision in your life so that you have a quiet and peaceful life. So we want to live in godliness, and so our prayer life should be that. So this is one of the spiritual disciplines that we want our children to grow into. And so how do we grow children? We show it by example. And so um, praying for your food and that provision we're going to talk about later on, uh, praying for these other things. But I think one of the important things, especially as they get older, when they get up to that 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, um, they should be... Uh, praying for those in authority over them. They should be praying in thanksgiving and with supplications for kings and all who are in authority. All who are, who are uh, uh, in, a, in that place of, that requires my respect, that, require, that, that are not peers, that are above me, and that can be in different categories, whether it's spiritual or or physical, um, whether it's educational, community, whatever it is, that they should be learning to pray. And so, what is the first authority in their life? Mom and dad. They should be praying for you. When I pray with your children, I pray for you. Let me say that again. When I pray with your children, I always pray for you, parents. So if your children are at my house having a meal, and we're going to pray before we eat, every time they will hear me pray for their mom and dad. And I might have children from three or four families at my meal at once, and I'll pray for all their moms and dads, and all whatever they're doing. Because that's the authority that is in life. They, want to, they should hear it from me, they should hear and they should be instructed. You should be praying for those authorities. Why? Because this is pleasing to God. God is well pleased with this, it says, and that it's good and acceptable in the sight of God. This is good and acceptable. And that's going to be a key phrase that we're going to keep coming back to. What is acceptable and good to God? What pleases Him? And we can do this throughout all of First and even into Second Timothy. Uh, we could go into aspect after uh, element after element after element that Paul talks to young Timothy and says, listen, I want you to uh, practice this. I want you to practice that because it's pleasing to God because it is, it is uh, good and it is something that God smiles upon and it will bring forward uh, his blessing, his favor. It is something you need to deserve, to earn, by participating in this activity. So these disciplines of life need to be shown to our children, need to be instructed and brought forward. So they should be in prayer. Prayer should be a frequent part of their life. And I'm going to keep driving on authority. Let's go to Romans, I think. I'm not going to go to 2 Timothy. Let's go to Romans. I'll run out of time otherwise. Let's just stay on the order area of authority tonight um, because that's going to come up under self-authority when we get to the A um, but I, I want to really send this home. Uh, let's go to chapter Romans 14. Actually, this has more social. I got, well, that's okay. So, verse 14 says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food... 
You are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. This is going to come up again under social. So you're going to practice these things. What are these things? These things are about are summarized by this idea of walking in love, that I care more about other people than exercising my own Christian liberties. I care more about my testimony to others because God wants them saved than I care about me getting my way. Now, does that have anything to do with your children? Sammy never wants to get his own way at home, does he, Evelyn? Evelyn, does Samuel ever want to get his own way? You're not sure? What do you think, sis, oldest sis? Does Sammy like to get it his way? You could just, she nodded yes. People on the podcast can't, couldn't hear you even if you did say yes. Yes. Every child wants everything their way. Guess what? Here's a, here's a mysterious thing I'm going to tell the kids, and there's only three here tonight which is really weird, um, so do your parents. They like to get their way too. We all do. And Jesus Christ, or Paul here, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, teaching us that that's not the way of God. The way of God is that I'm willing to surrender my way for something better, and what drives that is my love for others that I want to walk in love, and therefore, while I have all these rights and liberties described for me in the Bible, um, I'm going to walk in love, and I will defer those rights and liberties for the value of others and the testimony of Jesus Christ to them. And so, do I have the right to eat whatever I want to eat? Absolutely. Remember, we told you that your children have authority over what goes through their mouth, don't they? They can either eat or go hungry. Eat what you prepare or go hungry. They have that choice. It's their right to go hungry if they don't want to eat what you prepared. I'm more than happy to give it to them and say, well, you're not going to go hungry. And then they start sneaking around looking for food. It's like, no, you, you didn't want to eat. You wanted to go hungry. So the next meal is in the morning. That's why you never get picky over supper, because it's a long time till the next meal. Lunch, you can be more picky about because you got another meal coming in just a few hours. But boy, don't mess around with supper, because it'll be all night before you get to eat again. Um, and so we find that they have that right. We talked about that, and they're growing in stature. And so um, I'm willing to surrender that to eat whatever I want whenever I want. That's not just something that, that single people have, uh, that, that they can just go out and eat whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, we all have that, but we surrender because we're in a loving relationship and we want to have a meal together as a family. So now we eat at this time that we have established as, as a meal time, and we sit down at a table together and we have time of communication. Why do we surrender to that? because we're walking in love. Now, I know that wasn't the application here. They're really talking about, I'm going to eat meat that's been offered to idols, and it's no big deal to me because idols are nothing. But it's a big deal to this brother over here who's seeing you and going, I thought you were a Christian. Well, I'm free. Well, but not in his mind. You're not. And so if I love him and walk in love, then I can just surrender that. And... A uh, great phrase in this chapter is, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So we're looking for the approval of God. What is God approved with? One who serves Christ in these things, areas of walking in love. That makes you acceptable to God. So we should be teaching our children one of the disciplines of the Christian life is to walk in love. So what chapter of the Bible are you going to be reading to them? Making them memorize. 1 Corinthians 13. 
Sure, why not? Help, have them memorize that one. Remind them frequently. My wife, though, prefers be kind to one another, tender-hearted. I mean, she just harps and harps and harps on that because it's a beautiful chord to play on a harp. So it should be harped. Walk in love. That is a discipline of the Christian life. When I see a selfish person, I see someone who isn't a godly person. And God isn't approving of them. And so, it says here, are you acceptable to God? Do you have a life that's acceptable to God? It should be walking in love. And so I'm walking in a manner that is caring about others. That should be evident in your children. You're, you want your children to grow in favor with God? You want it to be acceptable before God? They need to be walking in love and, and being taught how to be deferent to others, to care about others to the point they're willing to surrender ourselves. And whenever we see that, you know, it, it's like in Hallmark movies or something. Oh, isn't that special? Oh, they gave up half their cookie to this other girl that was crying. You know, and we say, oh, that's so precious and cute. Well, it's more than that. <laughs> it's much more substantial than that. So we need to communicate that as something, this is what God accepts. What else does God accept? What, else, what are the other disciplines of the Christian life that are out there that is acceptable to God? Should be on your list. Come on. You can do it. Let's go back to Timothy. What was Timothy told by Paul with regard to God's word? It is profitable. This is good for you. It is profitable. When you see something profitable, it is good for you. Well, where does that goodness come from? Where is the profit? He's talking about a spiritual profit, which I would associate with being acceptable to God, with God's favor. It was profitable for you. The Bible's profitable for you for rebuke, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And so it is beneficial to us, and we need to be engaged in Scripture. You need to have your children engaged in Scripture. And again, that means you should be engaged in Scripture. You should teach them how to engage Scripture, how to read it, how to uh, study it, how to memorize it, all these things uh, you need. These are the disciplines of the Christian life that your children can pick up at a very early age. How early in age can they memorize Scripture? Two. How do I know that? Because last week, my two-year-old grandson came in and quoted to me John 1-3. Well, at least a portion of it. Two years old. I know he's almost three. So let's say three. Okay. Three years old. That's profitable. God is going to accept that, that we are to the knowledge of his word. Uh, and again, we talked a lot about that when we discussed wisdom, that we're going to go to the word of God. And so they need to be uh, given tools to develop their time in God's word. You need to help them in the early times and develop these disciplines and then encourage it as they get older. And that we find in scripture and, we, and, and the great uh, description in uh, Ecclesiastes for young men uh, is, you know, you, what should you be doing? Well, you should be knowing God's word and putting it into practice in Proverbs as well. And so we have lots of scripture there to direct us in that, um, to uh, develop uh, spiritually before God. We need to be in God's word of truth. Where do they get their information first about spiritual disciplines? From you. They can't read. Two-year-olds can't read. Do you know that? I know there's some savants out there that can read. But two-year-olds can't read. Five-year-olds can't read. But by then, they should have a lot of knowledge of God's word from you. From you. Okay, so you're going to teach them 
we want to see them in prayer. We want to see them walking in love. These things are acceptable to God. It is profitable to be in God's word. They should be, you should be developing that in them, that they should be able to rightly handle, rightly divide the word of truth. They should be able to, to work their way through passages, and, and, and that gets you into grammar and into English and sentence structure and syntax and all those kind of things. Those are beneficial to learn, not just because it helps them pass 11th grade English, or maybe it's 8th grade English, maybe it's not English at all anymore, I don't know, but uh, maybe it's college grammar <laughs> before they get to grammar and syntax. But um, they should be able to write and read God's word clearly and comprehend it. And that's why in early years of educational systems, the Bible was an integral part of it wasn't tangential, it was where you learned and why you learned English. And that's why wherever missionaries went, what went with them? Literacy. Why? So they could read the Bible and grasp it, understand it, bring it into life. This is acceptable, it's profitable to your children. This is a discipline they need to have. Um, another discipline they need to have, the Bible says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and this is a discipline they need to develop in their Christian life. The value and the necessity of fellowship. This is part, you cannot walk in love alone. Okay, got that? You cannot walk in love alone. Because if you're alone, there's only one person you're loving, and it's you. <laughs> okay, now... I'm going to even take it a step further. The family that tries to walk together as just a family and no one else is still alone. Because it's still me and mine. It's this little tight, tight circle that becomes me and mine. And I, can, I have seen historically those families that worship the family and it becomes me and mine and they love, and they love their family unit and cannot share it with anyone unless you also love their family unit. And they are not walking in love. And so, um, please be cautious of worshiping the family unit and thinking, well, we have this wonderful uh, love within our family, but then you don't have any relationships outside of it that would describe as walking in love. And that's why community of Christ, the body of Christ, which isn't just the local church, it is the community of Christ that's even larger than that, which is why I try to uh, expose us to that, that there are brethren all over the face of this earth that are of like faith and practice to us that are the body of Christ, capital B, uh, the universal church or the Catholic church. Catholic just means universal, um, not the Roman church, but Catholic, the, the universal church, Okay. And so that is the body of Christ. We should have a relationship with that. Your children need to learn those disciplines of being together with God's people. We know that the church in Corinth met the first day of every week. Um, Paul says when you gather on the first day of every week, you, know, you bring your offering, and we could talk about offerings, we could talk about singing, we could talk about all those aspects of worship that we do corporately. Um, let's just call them all under the umbrella of church. Your children should have the discipline of that in their life. And again, that's your responsibility. They're going to learn it from you first. Here's what they're going to learn is from too many parents. Church is of last in priority. I've seen family after family go through this church and communicate to their children that church is the last priority. It's last. If anything comes up on the Lord's day, that trumps church. Anything. And children are very attentive to that. Very attuned into that. And we see the results of that. We see that, well, I have to choose between this or this at school. Well, school trumps church. I have this or this with the family. Well, family trumps church. I have this or this activity, this sport. Sport trumps church. I have this or, or I have church or I have um, this, this other 
well, then no wonder when they get to be adults, well, work trumps church too. Everything trumps church. What have you communicated to your children? Growing spiritually isn't the priority of life. This is a discipline. Is God pleased by that? No. He cannot be pleased by that. And so, rather, he wants us to be rejoicing when they said, it is time to go into the house of the Lord. I, I, I was glad. So it's not only prioritizing it, it is also being glad that it's your priority. <laughs> okay? So in our home, there was something you were never allowed to say. I disciplined myself never to say it to my children about church. So you can ask any one of my children what it was that I never said to them on any Saturday night or Sunday morning. Guess what it was? We have to go to church. I never said that. We have to go to church. Never. Always I said, we get to go to church. We get to go to church. We get to go to church. Do you see the difference? Because I'm happy. I get to go to church. That's a privilege that not every Christian gets to enjoy on the earth today. I get to go to church. I get to go in and sing praises to him. I get to go in and give my offering because I don't come empty-handed. I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. I come in. I get to fellowship with, the, with my brethren in the Lord. I get to get away from the garbage that's out there, and I get to come in here. I get to hear and talk about the Word of God. I get to do all those things. And the children know the difference between whether you have to or whether you get to. They can see it in your eyes, in your heart, in your life, and in your vocabulary. They pick up on it. Does that mean every Lord's Day morning I just couldn't wait to get in here? No, because sometimes I did it out of duty because I was struggling spiritually. Um, the fact is, is that I'm just like everyone else, that I have spiritual highs and spiritual lows. These lows are usually attributed to sin in my life. And I have to struggle with those. I have to fight those. And there are plenty of Lord's Day mornings when my wife says, it's time for church. And she asks this funny question, are you going to church today? Because I overslept or I'm just laying there, usually thinking about my message or something else. And my funny answer is, not today. Well, she knows I'm messing around. Uh, but it's that whole concept of, you know, this is the Lord's Day, you know, and... Usually if I say that, she, she starts quoting scripture at me, so I don't do it very often anymore. I don't like to get preached at before I preach. <laughs> no. So I, we get to go to church today. I'm excited about it. You should be excited about it. It's a priority. We're going to make this every time, and there's going to be very, very, very little that interrupts it. And if Dad is on his deathbed, that's why he's not in church. Period. That's why he's not in church, because he's, he's hacking his lungs up or his guts are coming out or whatever. He, he's in deep pain over there if he's not in church. Nothing disrupts it. It just, it, it is. It is that commitment. Not because it's my job, it's because it's my love. I love the Lord. I don't want to miss any opportunities. And so, um, and I learned that from my parents um, as a child. Now, I want to share with you something. My dad and mom abandoned that when I became a youth. They stopped going to church very often. But they had taught us so well as children that when they stopped going, we drove ourselves. And the four of us would pile in the little Vega or, or the Charger or whatever, whoever car we used, and we drive down off that mountain in Virginia, we drive all the way across town of Roanoke, and we go to Shenandoah Baptist Church, just the four of us. 
eventually five, as my brother got a little older. We would make that trek. We were committed because we've been trained in that. Now, why did my parents drop off? Well, that was a spiritual issue between them and God. But I was trained about the spiritual disciplines of what is acceptable to God. Is it acceptable for God for me to not be desiring, I'm not even talking about attending, desiring to be with God's people? There's something wrong. And so we need to be disciplining our children that nothing gets in the way of that. Not banned, not sports, not hunting, not uh, relatives, not guests in your home. Um, uh, we met people during Bloom Fiesta, and I invited them to my house. They said, well, we're only available Sunday night. I was like, well, you're going to have to come late or if they're going to come to church. That's one of your choices. You either have to come after church or during church. And they came right after church, and they're actually here when church let out. I was like, because you can come to church. I'm glad to have you. And they came. Uh, nothing's going to interrupt this. It's a priority. And I learned that from parents that weren't pastors. My dad wasn't a pastor. He was just a TV repairman. Um, I don't even know that he was ever a deacon even. And, but we were there every time the doors opened, and we were there early, and we understood that that was a commitment of life. And I try to communicate that to my children with the, we get to go to church. Dad doesn't just have to go to church because he's employed there. I get to go to church because it is a wonderful thing, and it's the highlight of my week to be in God's word. When else can you do this? Get together and sing, you know, the first Noel with a bunch of people that mean it. Where do you get to do that? Where do you get to get around and talk about spiritual matters with people that mean it and that care about it? it? It needs to be communicated to your children. From a very young age on, we will always, you can, we, it is like clockwork. Boom, boom. Nothing gets in the way of that except for something tragical. And on vacation, um, with the internet now, <laughs> with Skyping in, um, you don't even have to be interrupted from that during vacation. Just organize somebody to have you here by a computer. We did it from Montana. It can be done. Why? Because it's a priority. Do I, do I have permission to take a vacation and not preach to you? Absolutely. But that's a downer for me. I don't like it. I'd prefer preaching from Jerusalem or Montana or Greece or India. I prefer it because it's my joy. And it needs to be a discipline that your children learn. Now, is there things God doesn't approve of? Yes. What's the discipline? Loss of privilege. You're not going to lose your salvation, right? Because that's built upon grace and the work of Jesus Christ. We're talking about what is acceptable to God in your living. So, what is the loss? The loss, we talked about unanswered prayer. You're going to lose joy. You're going to lose peace. And you're going to lose them substantially and continuously until you have corrected things. And even after you've corrected it, it may still limit you. It will also affect your service to God. What am I talking about? Well, that's just one example. There's a whole list of qualifications for pastor and deacon, right? We often pick on divorce, but there's a whole list of qualifications. And so um, if I want to fully serve God as a pastor or deacon or a pastor's wife or deacon's wife, someone who teaches God's word, there's also a lot of requirements there. Someone who's going to be in the list of widows in the church, that's kind of an office the, the scriptures describes as well, both in Timothy and Titus. And we have uh, these opportunities to serve. They can be stripped away. If we choose to live lives that aren't acceptable to God, we will lose. And I've had men come to me and say, and, and lose permanently that privilege. Remember, to serve Christ in these things is good and acceptable to God. So we walk in holiness, 
because part of his blessing is to be able to serve. Um, the exercise of spiritual gifts is for the benefit of the body of Christ. Do you really want to lose the privilege of ministering to God's people? Do you want to lose your place? Um, do you really want to be the body part that just hangs numb and doesn't do anything? Because that's what's in jeopardy. We need to communicate that to our children. Is that um, your future ministry before God is necessitates that you not lose out. You could lose out if you don't establish these disciplines of the Christian life um, as something you seek after, enjoy, and are committed to. <clears throat> okay, and I'm okay with just saying nope, can't do it. I've had parents come to me and says, well, my child can't participate in that um, because that's ministry and they have been really bad. You know, my answer to them is, well, thank you for letting me know, praise the Lord, and, uh, and when I look at them, I scowl. Because they don't deserve a smile. And they need to learn early and often that sin or not living in walking in love, not having these disciplines of the Christian life, have consequences. There are punishments for the lack of these, even as a Christian. And the Bible describes that, that there are going to be some people that are going to get to heaven uh, smelling of smoke. <laughs> right? The Bible describes that, that they're going to barely get there. Well, that's not how I want to get to heaven. You know, I want to, I want to be fully vested when I get there. I, wanna, I want to be able to fully engage for eternity in the worship of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And that demands something of me in the Christian walk. What, how many Israelites made it to the promised land that left Egypt? Huh? Just the people over what age? If you were over 20, you died in the wilderness except for two guys. So two old guys, and everybody else was 60 and under. Okay, we got two people over 60 here. Paul and Mrs. Fry. Don't give me that. All right. So imagine those two and about, uh, oh, about half a million people younger than them. Because nobody is older than them. Nobody. Everybody 20 and over is dead. Why did that happen? Because they didn't do what was acceptable to God. Does that mean they stopped being God's people? No. Does that mean they weren't sorry for what they did? They were very sorry for what they did. They apologized. They asked for forgiveness. God says, I'm going to forgive you. I do forgive you. And they said, great, well, let's go up and take the promised land. A bunch of them died right then and there. No, the consequence is still in force. You've got to walk for 40 years in the wilderness until you're all dead except for Caleb and Joshua. If you're over 20. Wouldn't it have been a bummer if that was like your 20th birthday? <laughs> you're like 20 years in one day. Oh, man. The consequences are substantial if we don't grow, and we need to communicate that. We seldom discipline our children for spiritual neglect. Now, we understand that God wants them to obey their parents. That's in the law. That's acceptable to God, and that's why it's given as a promise commandment. When you see first commandment with a promise, that means favor. God favors a child that will be obeying their parents. So when they disobey and you correct them, you are giving them not only physical and social uh, and wisdom, but you're also spiritually correcting them. And so please do that consistently. But go beyond that even and start saying, hey, there's consequences if, if, you don't, um, if you're not interested in the things of God. Now, are they Christians yet? Not necessarily. And so again, you're walking a very tight line here in the disciplines of life. We are not saying you got to live like me um, 
or you're out on the street. Rather, we're saying, um, this is the life that pleases God. You choose differently. You're showing me that you don't have a right relationship with God or desire for that, and I'm going to address that. And that means you're going to miss out on blessings of God, and that means you're going to miss out on the blessings of Dad and the blessings of Mom. Not because you're not saved, and that's something we want to address with them in terms of wisdom and correction that they hate sin uh, and love righteousness and want to deal with their sin. But in the disciplines of life, we want them to be instructioned in that and recognize there's costliness to neglect in the areas of the Christian life because there's costliness to us if we neglect it. So they need to know that. And don't be afraid in your examples to give that to them and say, listen, I neglected my Christian life and this is what it cost me even to this day. And I remember at camp, uh, one of the counselors, and I was a speaker, and one of the counselors sat down with one of these kids that was causing trouble at camp and made that exact statement. He said, when I was your age, I did this, 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 and I'm pretty sure that's why God won't use me in any other capacity that I'm in right now. I'm not qualified to be a pastor like him. And he was just frank. There are consequences for behavior, and you're behaving like I did when I was your age. And I'm telling you that if you want God to use you and really be blessed by him, you need to get rid of those things out of your life. Now, that was to a, Christ, a, a, a camper that was claiming to be a Christian, um, but that's why I always ask the question, are you a Christian? You know, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And if they don't give me a good answer, uh, then I don't talk about the rest because that's about the favor of God. And that's when, I, as a, in, their young, in their youth, I really talk about, you need to get right with God. Because they're not interested in his favor because they don't have a relationship with him. And so that's where we're transitioning a child from learning what pleases God to recognizing, do I want to please God? And that's where the salvation question comes in. Can you completely please God by the Christian disciplines? No. Because you're still a sinner. I can because I'm a saint. I'm a forgiven one. I'm, I'm a, I've been washed by the blood and now I can, I can be pleasing to him in everything. But if I do these Christian disciplines without a relationship with God, it's actually kind of disgusting to God if I'm trusting in them. It's not the doing of them, it's the trusting in them that's the problem. I trust in my own good works. And it's not the doing of good works, it's the trust in them that makes them so dirty that God is displeased with them. So it's a fine line to walk. And we're going to try to walk it. But these are the disciplines we're going to be addressing in this category. So next we're going to talk about instruction, how to instruct a child in these areas. Uh, we're going to probably handle um, authority and example together. I'm not always going to do these all in or the order that I have, the diaper order, um, because you can't hardly separate instruction and example and uh, authority in these. Any questions you have? I've gone late tonight. Yes. What's the difference between supplication and prayer is that supplication would be a specific request that is pressing for their specific needs. So if I'm supplicating for someone, I'm calling for something to their benefit or to their need, um, I can do a generic prayer and say, I'm praying for the president. Supplication saying, I'm praying for the president to be protected from the attacks that he is getting from his political opponents right now. That's a supplication. It is a pressing issue that, of a need that needs to be addressed. It is a subcategory of general prayer, is supplication. It is in, in asking for that uh, requirement. So prayer, supplications, and giving of thanks is the three on the list, right? Well, which one is three? Right. Prayers and supplications, asking on behalf of it for someone. 
Um, do I have them pray? Uh, in my home, I pray almost always. I, I, I pray for the meals. I lead our family in prayer. Very rarely do I have other family members pray. Um, it doesn't mean they can't, but they learn, I think, primarily by example. And that goes back to, I believe, I have to spiritually lead my home. And so and I know my wife has prayed with the children. That's not that we tell our children not to pray, um, but rather that um, that should be their own expression, their own desire. And it's fascinating to watch children because they'll start praying along with you. You know, when I start praying, um, you know, two and three-year-olds will start to mimic you, and they'll pray along. I don't discourage that at all. Um, they're learning this, and they're, and they're mimics. That's how they learn, and, and that's how they're learning language. That's how they're learning everything. That's why it's so important you have a cautious life in front of, very, of, of preschoolers particularly because they're not discerning what's good behavior and bad behavior. Whatever words you're using, they're going to use. Whatever behavior you're showing, they're going to behave. Uh, whatever attitudes you are projecting, they will pick up on and project themselves. And so when I see certain attitudes displayed in the nursery uh, during Sunday school, um, that didn't come from nowhere. They usually pick that up from someone at the home, one or the other. And so I can see the place. So I, I in my home, I have a... I view that as a, I want them to pray, but I want them to pray personally, and I want them not to be, I don't want to say this, feel compulsed to pray. Like if I ask them to pray, I'm really putting them on the spot there that they might not be prepared to. Um, but they should be praying privately, and, and if they ask to pray, uh, I'll let them. If they ask to pray, I'll let them. But I'll usually close it. So I, you have to provide leadership. You have to lead by that example. Um, and my kids know that very seldom do I ask anyone else to lead um, in prayer in my home. Very seldom. Not because they can't pray, but be, because um, I don't want to make the assumption that they're in the right heart and mind to pray. And that's why I don't call on you guys to pray. I very seldom will call on someone out of the audience to pray. Um, I just don't do that. That's an assumption that uh, I've only seen one time in my entire existence in church when one man says, I'm not really in a spiritual place to lead in prayer. Everyone went, oh. And I'm like, wow. That was so refreshing. Because <laughs> it, it was a social obligation. And I don't want anyone to pray because of social obligation, including in my family. That, well, Dad asked me to pray, so I'm going to pray. So I do occasionally do it, um, but very rarely, very rarely, even with my adult children, even with my wife. Um, if we're going to have a prayer time together, um, then even then I'll do most of the praying, I think. But that sounds really weird, but you're teaching by, by instruction, by example. So I'm not saying that that's the right way. It's just the way I choose to do it in my home and the rationale behind it. Other questions? All right, we're going to press this on and talk about spiritual growth, uh, growing in favor with God in these other three areas next week. I'm going to try to tackle more than just one because they're interrelated so much, instruction, example especially, and the area of authority. Um, because you can't instruct without understanding spiritual authorities in your child's life, their own, God's, and yours. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your provision and care for us. And for communicating to us the aspects of how, what, uh, how we use our time and thoughts and words and actions to please you. What is acceptable to you? What things you honor and favor? 
and will bless. And Lord, we pray that we might not only seek those out for our own benefit, but that we might seek them out to glorify you and that we might seek them out happily, that we might uh, not obey you in a begrudging manner, but that we might be obedient walkers with you out of joy and uh, with uh, great expectation and anticipation of doing it. Lord, help us to be more faithful in front of those around us uh, in our Christian disciplines of uh, prayer, being in your word and with your people and living righteous, walking in love. Lord, help us to uh, do these uh, purposefully before our children, and even purposely before one another. We might encourage one another uh, to maintain these disciplines uh, and let nothing dissuade us or distract us from them. And we pray for your help in all of this. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.